Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Dr. Sharon Melnick is a leading executive coach and speaker in the areas of resilience, power, and women's leadership. She was intricately involved with research at Harvard Medical School and is a Marshall Goldsmith Top 100 coach who has coached and trained at over 60 Fortune 500 organizations and numerous equity-owned and startup companies. Today, we dove deep into her background. We discussed the role of trauma and intergenerational trauma, as well as triggers, how to change the definition and narrative, strategies to help, distinctions about between being in your power versus feeling powerless, regaining a sense of control and confidence, the metaphor of the thermostat versus the thermometer, ways to become more aligned in your power, including perspective, persuasion and protection, how to deal with intrusive people, strategies, and so much more. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did, as well as her book, In Your Power. Well, welcome, Dr. Sharon. It's so nice to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So I know quite a bit about your background, but in terms of giving some context to the conversation, please share with listeners how you kind of came to where you are in your career. You know, obviously you just published In Your Power, which is this incredible resource that we can utilize and obviously we'll discuss, but I know your trajectory as a psychologist has, you know, evolved like it does for many of us. We start in one area and then we, our expertise kind of weaves into other things. You're quite an accomplished speaker. And I think your initial work was really in trauma and intergenerational trauma. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. So in my early career, I did research at Harvard Medical School on these intergenerational issues, kind of like what you bring with you from your own experiences in childhood uh, that you might bring into your parenting in the next generation. And it's really trying to understand what could parents do to kind of avoid repeating those cycles. Well, and it's interesting to me that, you know, I'm old enough that I should know this as a clinician. But it's only been in the last four to five years that I think the concept of trauma has really been on my radar. I think as I have been raising children, it's amazing to see the wounds that you think you have healed, but you realize you haven't. I always say my children are my greatest teachers. So let's start the conversation there. Our experiences as human beings, as we are growing up, and I always say like our parents do the very best that they can. I fervently believe that. I view my parents with tremendous compassion. But the traumas that have been interwoven into our family lineage do impact each generation unless we actively work against that. And so I always say lovingly that my children are growing up very, very differently than I did because I've done so much work and I'm consistently doing work. Like it's amazing. I'll say to my husband, you know, one of my boys will do something that really triggers to me, almost irrationally, I'm like, why do I feel that way? That they've done nothing to deserve me being that upset. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh, it's because there's another wound, another trauma that I haven't dealt with. Maybe I wasn't even aware of it. So how does that work for us? Because 
you know, your work initially really started in this area, but unhealed trauma is at the basis for so much, you know, poor behavior, addictions, you know, preoccupations with things that aren't healthy for us, because in many ways, I think some of us don't even recognize that we have these traumas and we create these self-soothing behaviors in an effort to deal with uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an amazing synopsis. And uh, I think that's very insightful for you to know. So when we have a reaction that's disproportionate to the situation, it's always a really good clue that there's something else that is going on in the situation. And what can happen for us is that when we've had uh, experiences in which we didn't feel seen, we didn't feel heard, we couldn't make the impact that we were here for, and in some way it was out of our control, right? We couldn't even protect our own well-being then we have to explain that situation to ourselves, right? And it is kind of this narrative that we create. It is the story that we tell about the situation, which is really one of the most enduring things from any situation or series of situations that you have, which is for any parents or mentors or leaders of teams uh, who are listening to this, this is like takeaway number one right now, actually, because if you can help a person to form a narrative that is empowering for them, that is really like it's objective and they understand the context and why each of the people in the situation were doing what they were doing and not just immediately go to that place of taking it personally and making it about you, then this is something where you can literally change the course of a child or you know a mentee or a team member's uh, life. So when uh, you are in that situation and you're having a reaction, it's because you formed a story uh, kind of whenever you were experiencing these early traumas or situations that just needed to be explained because it was hard to deal with. And then each of us is kind of carrying around like kindling inside of us right? It's like this story. And then other people's behavior, if it's selfish or excludes us or weird in whatever way that it might be or controlling, then their behavior is like a match. You know what I mean? That activates this kindling inside of us. And we immediately go to a place of, well, that means that they don't respect me which is a stand-in for, then I'm not worthy of that respect, you know, or this must mean that I'm not good enough or worthy or don't deserve to exist or any of the things that we might feel. And this is really what's getting activated. You know, when, when we say that you react, if we break it down, it means it is like a reactivation, right, of this kindling inside of yourself. And so you can always trace that kind of, uh, you know, an emotional reaction back to its source. And I think it's really tell a different story about it. Yeah, no. And it's interesting because we have this autonomic nervous system and we have the sympathetic, which is being, I'm being chased by a saber toothed tiger versus this parasympathetic side where we can digest our food. We can detoxify, we can have an orgasm, we feel safe. And so in hearing that explanation, it really, reaffirms for me that many people, when they get triggered, it's that, you know, maybe they were relaxed and maybe they're in this parasympathetic side of their nervous system. And all of a sudden the sympathetic gets activated, this fight or flight. And if it gets activated substantially and enough, you override your executive functioning. You start acting out of, you know, fight or flight. 
And, you know, you lose the ability to rationalize, you know, that's what I would like. I'm such a rational person that when I can't think properly, I always have to remind myself, okay, I've gotten triggered. What is at the basis for that? What do I need to work on? Because in my mind, and my kids have heard me say this often, I kind of think the internal work is work that we should be doing, or we should want to do throughout our lifetime to become the most self-evolved, healthy well-adapted human beings possible. Now I recognize not everyone is capable of doing that or not, or doesn't desire to, but for me, I'm, I'm just kind of a, I always say I'm like a nerdy scientist. I always want to kind of figure things out for myself, but I'll give listeners an example. So when my oldest, who is now 17 was seven years old, I started to have some triggering episodes. And I started to realize that when my parents got divorced, when I was seven, seven seemed very young to me. But I realized seeing what my seven-year-old was capable of, what he was conscious of, how sensitive he was, it reactivated all of this triggering of what I was experiencing at that age of seven. And I actually got upset with one of my parents and started having conversations and just said, I can't believe some of the things that transpired when I was that age because I was far more aware than I think my body was protecting myself. My brain was protecting myself. And so it reactivated a lot of these feelings that I I thought I had dealt with. And so we have the opportunity to consistently work on these things. If we choose to that reframe, you know, finding a, a way of being able to move through those feelings, talk about them, get beyond them, reframe them so that you're in a healthier, happier headspace. Yeah. And you inspire me in the way that you do that. And you do that every day. There are so many things that you could do once you're already in an emotional state, right? And so just like you were referring to, one of the things that you really want to do is you really want to move emotions through your system and kind of complete the stress cycle. So when you're in that activated state, you're very angry or you feel very hurt, you really have an opportunity. What you want to do is to actually feel the feelings and then to move them through your system. So, and you really want to kind of match the intensity of the emotion. So if you're really feeling upset about something, you know, some of the common advice is like, we'll go for a walk or something like that. Like, that's fine. And that will, you know, help to, you know, kind of generally speaking, put you in more of a place of calm, but that's not really matching the intensity of that feeling. So you want to do something that kind of matches. So like for me, it's the boxing bag uh, in the gym, you know, in our building. But another thing that's great is like dance breaks to a song that really matches your emotion and I actually maintain Spotify playlists for the different emotions (laughs) that you might be feel like if you're really griefy or if you're really angry. So you will give you a link at the end where you can actually download those playlists and all you have to do is pop it on and really allow yourself to move to kind of the beat of that music. And even just for that one song, even just two, three, four minutes and really allow yourself to fully express yourself and move through it. And in days of kind of Zoom, when you can maybe turn off, uh, you know, for a few minutes in between meetings, this is something that might be a little more accessible to you than if you're, you know, out in an open office. So that's for sure is that you want to complete the stress cycle. And like a great example of this is like when you have a good cry, you know, like, don't we just feel better? Like that's an example of where you kind of moved it through your system. 
And then your body can reconnect. What happens when you move it through is then you are reconnecting the emotional centers of your brain with your, like you're saying, rational thinking centers of your brain, where you can start to come into mental clarity about kind of, okay, what, you know, how might I have interpreted this situation? You know, how can I require myself to see the context and tell a different story that might be more objective about why this, you know, happened or even ask yourself a different question, like, how might this have happened for me, not to me, right? So these are examples of when you can get yourself out of that acutely emotional state. Other things uh, that you can do, and I have a whole suite of these breathing techniques in my book, In Your Power, is to, you know, literally once we start breathing six times a minute, we start to access that parasympathetic nervous system. So Again, you can have more of that balance between that on button where you're, you know, energized to solve the problem as well as that off button where you have that relaxation. And one thing that's really important that is important to say as part of a conversation, if you're someone who's really learning a lot about yourself and doing kind of the deep work is that after you kind of clear through the emotion that might be difficult, you really want to remember to fill yourself back up with pleasure with calm, with reconnection, because that kind of reconnects you to you. It helps you to remember who you are, and then you can act in the situation in your power, which is when you make it better. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believe that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. Product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, 
exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one, interpreting your data, and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Well, I think that's so important to have those strategies and to understand that it's not just the expression of what you're going through, but also being kind to yourself, whether it's, you know, you go for a walk in nature, you read a good book, you know, something that brings you joy to kind of replenish what you have just let out. And it's interesting to me, because I feel like throughout my clinical career, we were encouraging patients to suck it up or, you know, don't express yourselves or even, you know, I was always taught you're a lady before everything else. You don't yell, you don't scream, you don't raise your voice because that's not what ladies do. And you're actually encouraging us to let those things out. And I certainly, I have one child that's very expressive and one that's a little more laid back and mellow. And so I'd always say to him, you know, when you're feeling upset, even if you just need to do it privately, you know, let it out. Because I I think I was definitely conditioned to not express myself, like to articulate saying, yes, I didn't like that, but to cry, no, to yell, no, that wasn't ladylike. And so this social conditioning can further reinforce us not properly using those strategies, but you're actually encouraging us to do so. And I think that's really healthy and important that we not suppress what we're experiencing. Yeah, so much to say about that. I think generally speaking in our American culture that emotions are kind of seen as, you know, something that you shouldn't show, you know, we're only allowed to have positive emotions when it comes to winning or like a sports game or, you know, achieving a big sales deal or something like that and then the rest of it and it's also very gendered. I mean, men are really much more sanctioned to show anger, women are not are kind of prohibited and suppressed from showing anger. 
more okay if we show more helpless kind of emotions, like, you know, we're sad. So these are all socially constructed, right? And they don't map at all to the human body and what it needs to clear these emotions. Like emotion causes stress in a good way. It could be very, you know, you could be passionate, but it causes kind of wear and tear on the system. So that's why you want to move it through and then you want to replenish. And I think this is all part of uh, the idea of kind of being in your power or empowering yourself, like not internalizing messages that we've gotten from the culture that were really about keeping other people comfortable because maybe they in their own, you know, bringing up, we didn't have socialization to help us know how to deal with our feelings. So then we were just passing it down from generation, you know what I mean? To not make other people feel uncomfortable. And I think that we all you know, want to learn approaches that are uh, constructive, like nobody's saying go, you know, be rageful or kind of take it out on other people. But you know, there's like one example, you know, of a technique uh, in the book, oh, actually two or three where you, you can kind of like clear negative emotions from your energy field, or you can do cooling breath, which immediately we could do this now, actually, this could be just fun for people, because this is something you can do, like literally in the heat of the moment, it's particularly good if you're in interaction with other people, and you can't, you know, sort of excuse yourself to go, you know, go into your car, roll up the windows and let it rip kind of thing, which I'm sure many a woman professional has done on occasion. But cooling breath. So this is a reverse breath where it will help you to kind of stay poised. It will take you out of the amygdala hijack of your brain and kind of connect you back to your frontal lobe. So tie it along with me. Now you're going to open your mouth ever so slightly. You're going to breathe in as if you're sipping through a straw. Breathe out through your nose. And just try this a couple of times while I'm talking. And I want, you know, do you feel a cooling, drying sensation over the top of your tongue? So if you are, then you're doing it right. And this connects to meridian points, actually, that cool down the organs of your body that experience anger and uh, negative emotion. And so it's very healthy for you. And so it enables you to get out of that state of reaction and instead to ask the question, what is the outcome that I want in this situation, or even, you know, take that from good to great. What is the outcome that's in the best interest of all, right? And then, you know, the second question that follows on its heels, and who do I need to show up as in order to start moving everyone in that direction? So this is a great example of kind of shifting from being reactive to being intentional. And, you know, you have more power than you think. In every situation where there's friction or you're not in agreement or, you know, you're being treated in a way that isn't right for you, we can talk about some examples of this, but just to, you know, start off with that, that the way that you show up has such a reverb on other people. So this by managing yourself, right, then you can start to create a ripple effect and start to make it better for everyone else in the situation. And just a little like bonus extra here on cooling breath is that not only will it calm you down, but it calms the other people down as well. It has kind of like a secret de-escalation effect. So I license this to you royalty free. I love that. And it's interesting. It's been my experience. Obviously, I worked in the medical field for over 25 years. And to me, when I was, as an example, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I am and was a very good nurse and nurse practitioner because I could sense the temperature of whatever situation I was in. And I knew exactly how I needed to show up, very much a people pleaser. And the irony is in middle age, 
the people pleasing, as I have transitioned from perimenopause into menopause, I have felt that fading in a beautiful way. And the irony is that physiologically for women, as we are losing estrogen, we start losing this desire to be more people pleasing. We lose the desire to be more accommodating. And it's not to suggest that we suddenly are not interested in having camaraderie or agreement, but we stand in our power in alignment with our purpose. And we just feel much more confident and less, I mean, for me, fervently, much less concerned about everyone else's feelings. I still care, but it doesn't push me in one way or another. And so, you know, what you're talking about, I think, especially for younger people, younger women in particular, that are still part of that gender social conditioning of the accommodating, you know, don't be disagreeable, don't raise your voice, understanding that there are strategies that we can use to help with that. But also understand that as we are chronologically getting older, physiologically, there are hormonal changes in our bodies that are contributing to why we don't want to be quite so agreeable. And the irony is, I always, you know, during the pandemic, I have a very specific skill set. And so the local hospitals wanted me to, if I'd be willing to come back and work in the ICU or cover some of the more, you know, kind of intense critical care areas, which I had no interest in doing, but it was definitely one of those things I said, I don't think you understand. I'm not the same person I was when I was still working for that group. And if I came back now, I wouldn't be nearly as agreeable as I had been. And so that growth, I think for so many of us is really helpful. You know, when we start to think about what makes us truly happy, where are we truly in alignment in our lives? Are we in alignment? Are we in a position where we feel comfortable, confident, self-assured, and not in an arrogant way, but in a way that we're really working and moving towards a life of purpose and a life of service, which to me is is why I do the work that I do and very likely why you do the work that you do. Yeah, it totally is. And you know, another way of describing what you're talking about is you're no longer giving away your power. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, while we're talking about power, uh, a lot of us, when we hear that word, we feel uncomfortable with it. We immediately have the idea that power is selfish, manipulative, forceful, and that's not who I am. I don't want to be that way. And uh, actually, the word power comes from the Latin root, posse, which means to be able. So really, to be in your power is really to be able, right? To have the ability to stay good in you, no matter what's going on around you. So that when you act, it's effective and it, what you say lands, you know what I mean? And people like, you know, follow what you're saying when you're trying to, you know, bring them along to uh, kind of a better place. And so that's really the opportunities. Like we want to be in our power and we want to use our power because when you're in your power, you raise everyone around you. Where do you think people get the misconceptions about what power actually represents? Well, I think it's, you know, just been everywhere. This is the way that it has been defined, right? Is by people who have positional power, right? And we've seen plenty of abuses at every level of, you know, family, community, politics. So I think that that's just the way that we've understood power. But even when you say it that way, we think of someone as having power, 
but our opportunity is to be like in your power, in our power, because that is something that we carry within, right? And a person who is in power, but isn't in their power, that's when you're going to start to see those abuses. But you know, it's really why I wrote the book, because I think that so many of us, I mean, most of us really face like at least one situation, if not many in our lives where we feel out of our power, you know, we feel at the mercy of someone else, like how they're acting is going to determine how we feel and how the situation unfolds. Like, so like whether you're a talented woman in the workplace, who's overlooked and underrecognized, whether you have someone in your family, who's you know, all about them and uses a tone and dismisses you, you know, whether you're a leader of a team who just can't get their people, you know what I mean? To sort of like act and live up to their expectations. I mean, sort of like every, you know, when you're in a relationship, you just can't seem to be seen by the other person or heard make the impact that you're here for. So most of us feel, and I think a lot of us have been feeling this way in our lives at the macro level, you know what I mean? Like we don't feel like our politicians kind of, you know, stand for our values. You know, I mean, it's just like really there's things that are happening in the world that we think are not as it should be. And we just feel powerless as to how to have an impact. And so it's really why I wrote the book is to show you like, actually, you have so much more power, you know, than you think in every one of these situations. And you have a sense of agency, like there's always things that you can control and have options over. You have a sense of sovereignty, like you can always determine, you know what I mean? Like what you believe about yourself, you can, you know, express your yes and your no, you know, and you can have efficacy. Like you can learn that when you act, you know, others will follow you and you'll be effective. And I think people were, are like, we're like fed up now of like other people making us feel less than and like having culture be not the way. So we're like, yeah, that's what I want to be in my power. Well, I think it, the book itself is so timely because when I was reading this and really digesting it, you know, some of the things you talk about in the very beginning of the book about regaining a sense of control and confidence, not of anyone else, but in tor- like inwardly feeling you have control and you are confident in who you are as an individual and understanding that being out of your power, as an example, is not a sign of weakness. And isn't that really kind of the societal conditioning that if you're not powerful, then you have to be weak. It's this, you know, black or white kind of methodology when we look at the concept of power, but what we're really being encouraged to do is to understand that we have the power within ourselves to actually make our situations, our circumstances better. It's that constant reframe. And this is one of these concepts that I think for many people, they don't understand the concept of reframing our thoughts. Like things don't happen to us. They happen for us and understanding that even if something isn't going per se, right, right now, there's something there for us to learn, you know, something that's going to allow us to become stronger, more resilient, to be more in alignment with where our power is derived from. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And, you know, like just as an example, I was coaching a woman who was passed over for a promotion and she really deserved it and had worked hard for it. And, you know, she was really upset about it uh, kind of in the moment. And then we had our coaching session, we had a chance to talk about it. And uh, so we did ask that question, you know, how might this be happening for you, not to you? And she really was able to think, you know, 
actually, I really wanted the promotion that was two levels above this. I didn't actually even really want that job that that, you know, her colleague was promoted instead. And it helped her to really think bigger and actually like literally like two weeks later, an opportunity came along to her, which was really like a kind of a dream and for her. And it was like, you know, you can't know always at the time, which is something that's really relevant to the idea of being in your power. Cause I think when you get emotionally like hijacked, you know, all we can see is the moment. All we can do is kind of blame the other person, you know what I mean? Uh, for what they're doing, that's making us feel uncomfortable or all we can do is see the situation through the filter of our own self-doubt. And really you want to be able to have that like abundance mentality or to be able to see that bigger picture. Like if she, you know, once she was able to kind of pull out and see over the whole arc of her career, you know what I mean? How, why, like why that might've been happening for her in that moment, she would have been able to see a bigger possibility for herself, which then bore out. And I encourage, encourage all of us, especially for the difficult moments, really to, that's really make that your go-to question, how this might be happening for you. And also to see uh, your situation in the bigger picture and know that this is not the only moment and you can grow and it's don't hold the other person to that. This is the only way that, or the best way that they can act either. I think oftentimes it's a blessing when things don't work out the way we think we want them to in that exact moment. And, and that example is such a beautiful story about what this woman perceived was what she wanted. And then two weeks later, something happening that was even better than if she had gotten that, that other promotion. And I think for so many of us, it's understanding and whether you are spiritual and it's God or the universe, but I feel like we're constantly being invited to be the people we are destined to be. And so sometimes things up front may not work out the way that we would like them to but more often than not, and I truly believe this through the course of being an entrepreneur, that sometimes when things don't work out, it's something better for me or better for you or better for someone that's listening is coming. And if we had taken that first avenue, we might not have made ourselves available for the next blessing that was coming for us. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, we're so set up. You know, it's like, we're so set up to be out of our power. Like literally like, you know, we're wired to focus on the things that we can't control, you know, cause that then we're like perceiving threats, you know what I mean? And we're set up actually to tell a story about a situation that makes it mean something about us. Like just to double click on this a sec, cause this is like kind of where it all comes from, you know, like when you're a child and you have things that happen to you a lot of times, like in our pop psychology, you know, we'll say something like, you know, my dad was an alcoholic or my mother was a narcissist. Like we or I was a fat kid and I was bullied. like, we say these things. And then it's like, that's why I am the way that I am. And, you know, and like for a long time in my life, like, you know, I would say that or because I, I was in this field, you know, of psychology and people would sort of say like, oh, you know, you have difficult, you know, family member and that, you know, that's why you feel the way that you do. And right here, right now, I want us to like take that back because that is not 
allowing us to be in our power because it's sort of like things that happened to you or because of circumstances of other people and their limitations or their level of evolution or the confluence of their kind of cultural heritage and what they brought with them with their personal family, you know, kind of history and their, you know, neurology and psychology, like because of those things totally outside of your control, it's going to determine your life. No. Let's take that back right now, because I think what happens when you're a child and so you're shown behavior where you're treated in a certain way, which is very painful and makes it hard to protect your well-being. And we're wired to explain that situation, right, so that we know how to respond. That's what makes us different from animals is like we can figure out why and then respond accordingly. And what we're going to do as children is we're going to tend to make that caregiving figure right and make ourselves wrong. And you know something? We're going to do this for the best of reasons, the most important of reasons, because then it allows us to keep that caregiver as right so we can kind of have hope that they will maybe get better and be able to see us in a better way. But you know, if we're in a family that's fortunate enough to kind of like have a roof over our head and have, you know, food on the table and have maybe siblings that, you know, there's some like, you know, support uh, for your life, then you don't want to do anything to threaten that actually. And so you're going to make them right. And you're going to say, you know, something, there must be something that they see about me. That is true. And so it enables you to preserve hope this way. If they are sort of good and right, then I can stay in this family, hoping that they're going to like take care of my basic needs. So it preserves hope. And also it gives you a semblance of control because if then you have a sense, well, they're treating me this way because of X, Y, Z about me, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not worthy, then it gives you the instruction manual for your life and you can spend your life trying to prove yourself and to be worthy or to be good enough, you know? And so it gives you that sense of control. And you know something? It's a bit the lesser of two evils because you'll take that sense of control over a feeling like, you know something? I'm really not going to be seen or cared for in this situation. And that is so insta-hopeless. That is so painful that we have a built-in protection mechanism. You know what I mean? That that's where we'll go. And we'll do so for the most important of reasons. And we will adapt in whatever way we have to in order to get that emotional oxygen, you know, and we will develop coping techniques so that we can stay within the window of tolerance of our emotional arousal. And we will do what it takes in order to not be further harmed emotionally or physically to any extent that we can control it. And so if you're listening to this, I want you to know that any way that you've been telling yourself that you're not good enough or you're not worthy or any variation on this theme, we've all been there. That was a calculated coping mechanism. That was a story that you made up in order to preserve hope and have the semblance of control and all of these kind of coping mechanisms that got you to where you are today, but it wasn't true about you. And so this is the sense of agency that you have, that you took on this story and you can unlearn it and you can rewrite that narrative that you have about you and even that other people that have about you by the way that you show up. I think that's really important. So this is obviously an example of resiliency. So if you are trying to create this narrative for yourself as a younger person or child, 
it's a way or a mechanism of trying to make sense of your environment before you even fully understood it. And this runs the gamut of behaviors and inner talk that we have with ourselves that is allowing us to remain hopeful in many ways. And and it's interesting because that internal dialogue starts so early. And I think that on a lot of different levels, you know, those of us who were interested or ready or able to have those tough conversations in the context of a, you know, a friendship, a relationship, a relationship with a therapist, a psychiatrist, a psychologist to kind of start digging. Are there some metrics that you use in your work now about resiliency in terms of who are the people that are most likely to be able to work through these issues with, you know, feeling in control, not feeling as in control? I would imagine if someone's coming to see you, that in and of itself is a a demonstration that they're willing to do that inner work. Yeah. So there's three things that I would say. I think people who are going to be able to kind of get back in their power are people who make it as their first resort to ask the question in any situation, where's my power? Where's my power in this situation? And then immediately do a power analysis which really requires you to sort out like what are the aspects of the situation that you can control, what I call your 50%, and distinguish these from the aspects of the situation that you can't control, kind of the other 50%, right? And the more that you focus on what is within your control, the more you're actually going to be in your power and to be able to affect the situation to make the conditions, right, that you want. And I do want to be clear here that I am not saying just because I'm speaking to my fellow perfectionists and control freaks in the crowd. So if you can imagine sorting out almost like if you pictured like a circle that describes the whole situation and then there's a line through it, you know, and like above the line is what you can control your 50% and below the line is what you can't control. I'm not saying, right, try to control 100% of the pie, right? What I am saying is be really effective at what you can control. Like be impeccable for your 50%. Like take 100% responsibility for your 50% and not trying to control the other people because anytime you're going to try to control others, you're just like leaking your power. Like, you know, like, so- that would be the first thing that I would be listening for if I was going to, you know, try to get a sense of someone that's going to be resilient in this situation. And I think it's the first thing that you can do. It should be like your first resort question, you know, where's my power? You know, how can I be impeccable for my 50%? So I think that's something that people can definitely do. And There's lots of other things that I think that people can do. You know, we're talking about kind of telling a different story about the situation, one that is of your creation, I think is really important. And then I also just think that there's a lot of things, you know, the whole like first half of the book in your power is like how to be in your power and stay in your power. And then the second half of the book is like how to use your power, like how to be effective. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people... I see as well is, you know, you might be trying to get your needs met and, you know, you might want to set a boundary or you might ask someone to do something for you or, you know, and, 
But if you're not effective in the way that you say it, then the person is not going to be incentivized, you know, to honor your request. And especially if it's someone who's so run by their own inner drives that they have a hard time seeing you, you know, then I think it's really important actually to have skills, to set boundaries, to know how to be heard and all these kinds of things. Because then once you're in your power, you can actually be effective at changing your circumstances, which supports you to be in your power. And then it creates a virtuous cycle. That's really important. And it's interesting as I was kind of navigating the book, you identify portals to power. So, you know, some of these resonated deeply with me and there were, I think, 12 portals to power all beginning with a piece. So beautiful alliteration. And one of the first ones that really resonated was this perspective. So victim versus victor, And how might this be happening for me instead of me? So that reframe of understanding you do have some control, as you mentioned, you know, you can't have control over other people, but take 100% ownership of your 50% of which you do have control over. And do you find that sometimes this can be a really integral, like critically important aspect of reestablishing power within ourselves? It's my go-to question, Cynthia or at least the first one, you know, of many, because it immediately, you know, when we feel done to, and when we feel like other people are like doing it to me or, you know, then we're just totally in a mental swirl of like, why are they doing that? I wouldn't do that. They shouldn't be doing that. You know what I mean? And blaming them and all kinds of names or whatever, you know, wherever you're going in your mind, but that's the point. That's what's like pinballing around your mind, you know, in those moments. And then you get sunken or you get triggered, you know, and then you're like totally off. And most of us, we try to make the situation better from that place, right? And that is like a total recipe to like try to get the other person to change. They won't. And then you're further entrenched in the situation and everybody feels worse. So that's why it's so important to ask that question. And no matter what circumstance, and I even like, you know, you you saw that I wrote in the book, like right after I handed in the book, I separated from like the love of my life. And we're still totally in love, but we really, really want uh, different things. It's the matter of, you know, one person wants to sort of like travel the world full time with a travel companion. And I'm like, you know, I'm here to change the world and really, really didn't have like, you know, compatibility for what we wanted for our lives. And I was like devastated, you know, I was so deep in grief around that time. And so I had to do a lot of moving emotion, you know, through me and a lot of remembering that bigger picture and that this wasn't the only moment where my life was, you know, going to kind of stop being happy. But I can tell you literally from like the moment that we first started having that conversation, I, it was like the only way that I could get through was to ask myself that question, how might this be happening for me, not to me? Because if this was just something that was being taken away from me, I didn't know how my heart could get through it, you know, honestly. And so only by thinking that we had come into each other's lives to feel the most extraordinary, like unconditional love and experience that from each other. And then for each of us to have the opportunity to go deep into our soul's desire and to be able to, you know, have the freedom to do that, that question totally opened up a possibility of me to move forward when otherwise it was just devastating. 
Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armour Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armour's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code 
Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that degree of transparency, there are many people listening who probably fully understand what that is to go through. And that reframe, I think, is so helpful to kind of process what you're experiencing. Now, some of the other, you know, portals to power that you talk about, of course, there are always a couple that will like really resonate with me as a reader. Another one was the process of persuasion, asking, not aligning, and what is in it for them? Can you explain that concept? Because I think on a lot of different levels, this isn't just a for our professional life, but also our personal life, like really understanding what is your point of leverage when you're having conversations with people and trying to get into more alignment with what needs to happen for you moving forward. Yeah. So everywhere in your life, when you kind of request or ask someone to act in a certain way, a lot of times what we do is just we think about the thing that we want, and then we just say it out loud the way that we want it. You know, can you take out the trash or, you know, uh, can you clean up your room? Or I mean, I don't know. I mean, it could, you know, it could be anything or could you promote me, you know, and we have to remember that, you know, I mean, think of all of us. We're all up to here, you know, overwhelmed. We have our own agenda, what we're trying to, you know, like accomplish or things that are important to us. And when you ask someone just because like you're asking, you know, you want it, it's a little bit like swimming upstream, you know, and what you want instead is to think about like, what does that person already want? Because they already have energy going there. It's like entering into like a rushing river, like like energy's already going, you know what I mean? And it's just like, put your raft on that river, you know, don't try to like swim it upstream. So you know, whatever is important for your family member, let's just say cleaning their room or whatever. I mean, it could be anywhere, you know, think about like, what do they really want? And then help them to see that by doing what you're asking them, that's going to help them get more of what it is that they want. And this definitely in a business setting, you know, like I'll just give an example here. So I coached a woman who um, was at one of the big fortune 100 companies and she came to me and she said, you know, she's on a sales team. And she said, I've been asking the head of our group for, you know, some of the better sales opportunities, but he's giving it actually in this situation, she said to the men in the group, and she said, I think there might be gender bias here. And he's very narcissistic. He only manages up. He doesn't seem to really care about me. So either help me to influence here or help me get another job. And I said, sure. I said, well, let's just give it one last chance to sort of see maybe if we can approach it effectively, you know, let's just see. And so, you know, it seems that someone who is not paying much attention to you really is all about them, that how in the world could you influence them? I mean, they're not interested in you, right? But where a person has a motivation, you can leverage it. Okay. So she goes back, she makes the say, we script it out in very great detail. And, uh, you know, we bring like x-ray vision to understanding him. She scripts it out. And then she makes the same asks that she's been making for six years. She writes me an email two days later. She's like, I met with my boss. I got every single thing I asked for. You know what I mean? And there was one other that I asked for because he, like, he was on such a roll because she put it in terms of how this was going to make him look good. 
in front of his higher ups and help him seem like a kind of a champion, you know what I mean? Of in this situation of, you know, promoting women leaders and, but whatever, it's just, we really, you know, understood what would motivate him. And then, you know, so he really, you got to take off your own head, you know, and it's like the golden rule when it comes to influencing is like, don't do unto others how you want them to do. It's like, do unto others how others want to be done unto. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like what they, what, and it requires you to kind of get out of yourself a little bit, you know what I mean? And really like what's really important to them, either in terms of like a business level or on the personal level, what motivates them? Where is their energy already going to? And be that person who reframes your request in terms of how it can help them get what they want and you get what you want. When you're all about win-win, you're in your power and you raise everyone around you. I love that example. And I, I want to share with listeners a relevant mom-related utilization of what's in it for them. So my 17-year-old wanted the car and Perfect. I wanted him to do thank you notes because I have grandmothers or mothers that still appreciate those things. And so I said, here's the deal. If you do three thank you notes then you can use the car. I said, if you do not do these three thank you notes, you do not get the car. And so he sat down and took five minutes and did them. And I said, this is a perfect example of what's in it for him. This is the motivation you know, putting the carrot in front of someone to get them, you know, get them to do the things that need to happen that are going to be aligned with the direction that you're heading in. Now, it's so organic, you know, just also to maybe give a metaphor here that can help people remember this. Cause I, you know, we talked about how this is like, we both really relate to this metaphor is, you know, a lot of us are going through our days and we feel like a thermometer, right? Is we're just reacting to other people. So, you know, as a parent, you could have gotten all frustrated by him that he didn't want to do the thank you cards. You know what I mean? My client was all like feeling um, victimy and negative and resentful and like she had to leave, you know, and we're just like, you know, our mental and emotional state is like going up and down according to other people and their behavior. So what you want to be in your power is to shift from being the thermometer to being the thermostat. When you're the thermostat, it's like you set the tone. It's like you decide who you're going to be. You decide on like what the vision is that you're going to bring everyone along to. And these are both really good examples of that, right? You were like, what's in the best interest of all? <laughs> like, you're like, so who I want to be is like cool, calm, collected mom who gives organic consequences, who like make sure everyone gets what they need in terms of including the grandmothers. Like, like that's what it's like to be the thermostat. Like you take everyone's need into account. You know what I mean? You show up as who you want to be. You kind of move it along. And that's the idea. Like you have more power than you think. Be the thermostat. I love that metaphor. I'm definitely going to have to keep that in mind. I definitely want to at least touch on one other topic that came up as one that individuals wanted us to discuss. How do we deal with intrusive people? How do we deal with boundaries? And specifically, how do we deal with narcissists? Okay, let's bring it on. <laughs> so Very relevant. Many, many questions centered around this, these areas in particular. For all of us. So, yeah, I think there's even a whole few pages uh, in the book that are devoted to how to deal with a narcissist and, and protect yourself, which is the idea. So we'll go through maybe a couple of these now. 
So the whole idea of staying in your power is that you can stay good in you no matter what's going on uh, around you, right? So that's the idea where you have to kind of create almost like a, a moat around yourself where you have to stay good in your own energy field so that even if the other person is acting, again, driven by their own psychology and their own biology that has very little to do with you, right? That you create a force field around you, right? That is going to protect you. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. And before I even discuss those ways, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of having an awareness of what's going on when you're dealing with someone who is not respecting your boundaries or even trampling on them. So when it comes to setting boundaries, you want to put your boundary out there in a way that is about what you need and not telling the person what they should do or anything, because they'll be allergic to that, but about what you need or what you will do if they act in whatever way they do. So it's very clean because you're only talking about you. And you want to put yourself out there and kind of state your truth. And then what you want to do, the first thing that you want to do is you want to watch for their response. You want to figure out what it is because they might have one of two responses. So it might be deferential or it might be defensive. So if it's deferential, they'll actually hear you and they'll take it in. And it's as if there are two people who have needs and are interacting here. So they might say something like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't realize I was doing that or I really care. I'm going to try to do it better next time. Or please, if I'm not doing it, remind me, or I'm so sorry, like something, they'll do something that shows, right, that they're paying attention to your needs because you've stated it. And other people will be defensive, not deferential. And so they'll make it all about them. They'll feel attacked by you. They'll attack you back. They'll justify They'll whatever it is, but you have no needs in this interaction, right? So that's your clue that you need to go beyond setting a boundary and you need to put up a barrier, right? So they need to have less access to you because they've shown themselves that even when you do something to protect yourself in good faith, that they're not capable of honoring it. So that gives you a little bit of context because then you know, okay, now I have to go into you know, some of my strategies that are going to help protect me from this person. So one of the things that you could do is if you have to interact with them, I mean, it's always good to try to minimize your contact with them, but if you have to, because you're in a family or a work situation or whatever that you don't have the choice to change right now, is that you really want to control the way that you interact with them in a way that minimizes your engagement with them. Because engaging with them is what's going to set you up to be hooked bait in the mouth, you know? Oh yeah. We've all like been there and then react and then make you a person who you don't want to be. And then you're out of your power and you have to get back in. Okay. So one thing that you could do is you can act like a gray rock, like totally monotone, totally bland, totally like a smooth gray rock. Like there's nothing you can get your hooks on. Like you just, you slide right off, right? Like tap line. So just, this is like you just do your best, like disengaged teenager, like whatevs, like, like you just don't even go there. You know what I mean? Like just, uh-huh. Okay, fine. Yeah, we'll do like just that. Or you could even take that person, what they say, and you can listen to them as if they were Charlie Brown's teacher. You know what I mean? From the Peanuts cartoon, 
right? So you might have to look at them because you're in a meeting with them or you're in a family interaction with them or something like that. So you can kind of put your like eyes on them, but you don't have to actually take in what they say. You can just listen to them like, like, like you don't have to take in the words as meaning something about you. Right. So that's, uh, you know, just one strategy. If you have to interact with them, just definitely minimize uh, your engagement. There are many, many other things. Was there a strategy that you particularly remember that was kind of fun for you to think about using? Well, actually, you used the gray rock. I kept thinking of like a, a mossy rock, a slippery rock that has you know, you're in a stream and there's some moss growing on the rock. So you can't attach any that to me, because I'm very visually oriented. I was like, yes, that's actually a strategy I've used with the narcissist in my life. So I think it's, it's really beneficial to just understand there are ways to interact with these individuals and still be able to, as you say, remain in your power, but not feel like you're powerless. I think that's, you know, the, the resounding comments I was getting from women that were sending in questions were, was along the lines of, I feel powerless when my boundaries aren't being respected, you know, how do I go about creating opportunities for me to not replicate previous patterns? So that doesn't continue. Yeah. So applause for you, for all of you who are, you know, aware of those patterns and not wanting to repeat them. And it takes kind of takes two interactive partners to make a pattern, you know, right? So if you're not engaging in a way that is going to perpetuate a pattern, then you deescalate it right there. And, you know, for sure, you're going to feel icky, you know, when you're interacting with someone who's intrusive in that way. So all of the moving through, you know, clearing your emotions is going to be very relevant for you so that you can come back into that sense of sovereignty. Like this is how I want to feel in my body. You know what I mean? And I know how to get myself uh, there. Definitely access the dance breaks for that because in the Spotify playlist, I have not only like how to move through anger or grief, but then how to like, you know, get back into your fun and being lit up and turned on and all of that. So you definitely, that's like an immediate strategy. And then another one that might not be so obvious, uh, because there's a lot of strategies in the book, kind of how to interact with that person. But this is more of like a mindset, which is one of acceptance and compassion to really understand where this came from. Because for someone who is so rigid in their behavior pattern and who so can't take in any responsibility, right? The reason for that is that this is a person who, when they were in their early years, experienced trauma that was so severe that it would have activated in any child very extreme states of whatever emotion, anger, helplessness, humiliation, whatever it was. And so as a child, this person would have had to develop ways of really cutting themselves off from that emotion, dissociating it away, kind of could have been beaten out of them. I mean, in almost in a literal way. And it is so hard when you look at the person today and how manipulative and selfish and mean and venomous and all the things that they can be today. It is beyond imagination that they ever could have been a vulnerable child, you know, in that state. But if it helps you to remember that that is what produced someone and they'll never 
see themselves that way. You would never want to ask them to, I mean, you might want to ask them to be accountable, but don't expect it, I guess is what I would say. You might want to share your truth and ask for that, but know that that's something that they might not be so capable for. But it actually really works to stand in your power with a narcissist. Narcissists respect power, uh, actually. And if you know more than they do, or if you have information that can lead to an outcome that they want, it's just better to go with to them with that in private and not in public. Because if you humiliate them in public, mm, yeah, you got to watch your back. <laughs> and, you know, it's like they really spent, but if you could really like have an understanding of where this comes from and just know, like, it can be kind of miserable to be them 24 seven, you only have to interact with them in the time that you have to interact with them. And like, this is an opportunity for you to like really enlarge your heart and come with compassion while protecting your heart, um, you know, in uh, this situation. And like, this is like the whole idea of being in your power. When you understand what's going on, your own reactions, you understand what's going on for the other person, you can protect yourself. You can be effective at getting what it is that you need. When you are in your power, you make it better for everyone around you. That's such a beautiful message. Thank you so much for this beautiful book. Please let my listeners know how to connect with you, how to purchase your book, how to work with you if you are indeed uh, you know, taking on new patients and clients. Thank you so much. Well, some of the resources that I've been referring to, head on over to www.inyourpowerbook.com. And that's where you can download those playlists for the dance breaks for all the different kind of emotional states. That's just like an instant, you know, state change uh, for you. You can also, I would recommend starting with like the assessment. There's just like an eight, you know, question assessment there that can just tell you immediately like where you are. And in terms of being in your power, and then of course, you know, you have, you can get the whole book, uh, which will show you how to get back in your power and stay there. And also I just put up another resource at inyourpowerbook.com, which is, will give you a way of tracking, like as you go throughout a day or a couple of days, like where you're in your power and where you're not, because this is so valuable for you as information to know, like, when are you in your power? Like do more of that. Where are you not in your power? That's where you really want to kind of have these skills. So head on over to inyourpowerbook.com for those resources. And then, you know, I'd be delighted. I coach women executives and founders and uh, women leaders uh, who want to get to the next level and to be heard. So you can reach me at sharonmelnick.com. Thank you. Awesome. This has been an incredible conversation. And, and obviously your book is one of those books that I will be, you know, using as a resource recommending to my female patients. Thank you again. Thank you. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. 
And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. 